John 12, 37 to 50 says this, Though he'd done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he, had, he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word and grateful for its consistent message. God, grateful that there is no work that we need to do or can do to earn righteousness before you, but that only by the blood of Jesus, only by his sacrifice, only by our belief and faith in him, do we come into your eternal presence. Lord, we thank you for the very simple, eternal word that you've spoken throughout your scripture. And I pray we'd be encouraged by that word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I, uh, uh, a friend of mine that came into the coffee shop this week uh, shared an article with me, or told me about an article that was in the New York Times this week about young evangelicals. And, uh, and the word evangelical has so much <laughs> tied to it now. The problem with words, especially as they describe people, is that they describe people. And, and there's lots of people that can be described by one word. And as such, people being different, each and every one, uh, get lumped into categories that one word really cannot contain. And uh, this has happened in the Christian faith all over the place. Even the term of Christian in its original form was derogatory toward Christians as being little Christs, uh, and they were made fun of in the Roman Empire by this name Christian, and we've now adopted it, and, and you know this, and so, um, and, and so in our country, one of those words that has been adopted to describe a large portion of Christians in America is evangelical. So there was this article done about uh, young 
evangelicals and what it is they believe about the way they're interpreting our world and the way they're seeing things and how their faith is interacting with the conversation that's happening in our culture uh, from day to day. I won't go into all the details of it. They followed a few different uh, individuals around in the article and just asked them some particular questions about their understanding of politics of the day and, and, and different things and how they were deciding how to vote and, and not. Um, evangelical doesn't describe the gospel. <laughs> evangelical is a, is a word that is now used in our culture to describe a group of people. And, and that's also getting muddied because that group of people is, is varied in its, in its uh, description. So I challenge you, don't group a whole bunch of people into one, uh, into one word. It's very difficult to do. I would challenge you as you consider Jesus and his role in your life, only take your direction from what the word says about who you are in him. As I read some of these descriptions of, of individuals, really uh, Christian couldn't describe some of them because of their particular views and the way their lives had been ordered. Some of them, it, it would. But what it is to be a Christian is defined by one person, and that's Jesus. And I think our passage demonstrates that today. Um, as, we, as we've seen, we have seen John portray the ministry of Jesus. And over the past uh, 13 or 12, 12 chapters, we have seen him uh, really line out some of the major works that Jesus has accomplished. He gave seven primary miracles that he did and, and gave numerous dialogues about who Jesus claimed himself to be. A, a number of those things that Jesus claimed of himself. He said this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He said this of himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay, I lay down my life for my sheep. He said this, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. John lists these things with one very clear purpose that he gives at the end of the book, and we've mentioned it a number of times, but this is why he lays out all that is before us. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I would challenge us to be defined by who Jesus says he is and let who Jesus says he is fill who we are. 
Let it be the definer of who we are. In our passage today, uh, John again is, is wrapping up this ministry of Jesus, of Jesus telling us who he is and, and demonstrating it through miracle and through dialogue, uh, who he is. He's very clearly lined himself out to be the Son of Man, the expected Messiah, and one who is equal even to God. As he says, everything I see the Father do, I am doing. And as the Father is working now, I am working. We see two aspects in this passage. We first see that uh, there's a group of people that's missing God. And we second see Jesus show us what it is to see God. First, this group that, uh, that misses God. At the very beginning of our passage, just, just before it really, um, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. He has arrived to Jerusalem. And here he is in this uh, really pageantry of, of millions of people uh, waving palm branches and screaming, Hosanna, son of, uh, son of God, God who saves us. And really welcoming him into the city as the king, conquering king of Israel. But right after he comes in and, and accepts really the title by walking in the way he did, as, as, we, uh, as we saw, he says some things that disturb many of them. Chiefly, he says that, yeah, I, I am the king of Israel, but I'm going to be lifted up. And as we saw last week, the, the definition, the real meaning behind him saying, I'm going to be lifted up, is that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to be killed. And this doesn't sit well with them. They, they in fact, start to question already so the crowd answers in verse 34, says, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man then? So seemingly, like in an instant, you've gone from exalting this man as king of Israel to questioning whether he is the Son of Man at all. So this is where we find ourselves in the passage today. Verse 37, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. They said, the Christ cannot die. If, if you're going to die, then there's no way that you are the Christ because the Christ doesn't die. They could not see beyond their expectation. And the signs that he did weren't enough for them. I mean, think about the signs that he did. <laughs> Change water to wine. From changing water to wine to, to raising a man out of the grave. Healing a man who is lame, giving sight to a man who is born blind. These signs, they weren't enough. So John records a couple of statements from Isaiah. Um, 
It says this, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he says, he has blinded the eye, their eyes and has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Why does he record these statements from Isaiah? He tells us flat out, Isaiah said these things because Isaiah saw his glory and spoke of him. So let me say that again. Isaiah said these things because Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke of Jesus. See, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus' sacrifice and prophesied ahead of time, said, their hearts will be too hard to accept such a Messiah. He saw the glory of what Jesus was going to do, and he said, there's no way they will believe it. Their hearts will be too hard to accept such a Messiah. I didn't mark the passage, so I'm going to fly back to it here. Um, this is Isaiah. This is what Isaiah says of the coming Messiah. This is, this is the glory that Isaiah saw in Jesus. He said this in Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What continues on is... Literally what we see as a description of Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the glory that Isaiah saw. And when he saw it, he said, as John presents it to us, they could not believe. The Lord had blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart. Even in the midst of these amazing signs, their expectation of what the Messiah was to do for them was too great to accept what the Messiah wanted to do for them. They missed him. <laughs> Can you imagine? Just like think about, again, like these first 12 chapters of the description of Jesus and what he's done. And they totally missed it. He said, no, there's no way that the Christ would die. He does say many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
it's a little hard to understand exactly like how they can be attributed with belief in him, yet not believe enough to confess it. There's a struggling that's going on there. They, they see there's something to this. They think there's some reality to what Jesus is saying, but they're not ready to confess it. And before we get like all judgmental toward them <laughs> about that, we often find ourselves struggling with the same thing. Yes, Lord, I believe you, but do you, I, don't, I don't think you want me to do that, do you? That'd be kind of crazy. We do the same thing. And the truth is, if, if we're not careful, we can fall into this same group of people that's going to miss God because we're looking for the signs. Too often, in fact, we attribute uh, the right path with amazing signs that will overwhelm us. And so often, the right path doesn't look like a whole bunch of signs that are miraculous. It actually looks like simple obedience to what God has called you to do day by day. They missed him because they couldn't believe in what he said of himself. And so what is it, simply, what, what is it that Jesus wanted to punctuate his ministry with? In fact, John draws great attention to it in the way he says it, and, and we're not sure exactly like where Jesus was when he does this, but verse 44, it says, and Jesus cried out and said, <laughs> almost as just to say, this is the end of my public ministry, and this is the last thing you need to hear from me. Because after this, he ends up spending the, a numerous amount of chapters with his disciples before he's then arrested and taken to the cross. So this is really his, his last public proclamation of who he is, at least in, in the book of John. It says this, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Believing Jesus and seeing Jesus is exactly equated with, exactly equal with believing God and seeing God. As we've seen throughout John, when Jesus is acting, he's acting directly on behalf of the Father and directly in unity with the Father. There is no separation. They're completely unified. And so as you believe in Jesus and as you trust in what he is saying, you are literally believing God and seeing God. Continues on and says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day.
Jesus' only concern in his ministry, his primary and only concern in his ministry is the saving of people. He didn't come to judge. He came to save. He came to give us the final and eternal word. We see this word is from the beginning to the end. This truth, this word that God is the one who saves. In fact, Hosanna is the right term to use in accepting the king because our God is the one who saves. But is he here to free us from Roman oppression? He wasn't here to do that. He's here to free us from spiritual oppression. To bring the kingdom of God not into just our world, but into our very hearts. This truth is, is literally from beginning to end in Scripture. Starting with the first proclamation of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, God came and gave past judgment on the serpent, on the man, and on the woman. And what he said to the serpent was this in John three fourteen and 15. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Understanding is that from the very beginning, God has projected that there is a battle between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. The seed of the promised line and the seed of the serpent. That ultimately, though the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Bruise your head is actually a very uh, weak term for the, the word that's here. It's, it's literally like an emphatic word that would mean to crush to pieces, <laughs> like destroy, <laughs> obliterate. So as you all know, when Jesus is finally crucified, his, his heel is nailed to the cross, bruised. But his cross is set on Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of judgment in that town outside of the Jerusalem walls. And so we see this fulfilled in his crucifixion that Jesus did in fact crush death. For where he was crucified is the place of death, literally. 
And that is where he defeated it. So from Genesis all the way then to Revelation, we see not, not a Messiah that is, uh, continues on without a fight, but one that is slain. One that goes through a sacrifice. This is kind of a long passage, but Revelation 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or, or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw, not a lion, but a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated and on the, on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering, number, numbering uh, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Isaiah saw this and he said, their hearts will be too hard to receive such a Messiah and their eyes will not be able to see it. So caught up can we be in looking for a sign and looking for the right logical outworking that we cannot see God himself wants to come and save us. Jesus continues on back in John 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is 
eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. When they were questioning in their hearts about who the Son of Man is, Jesus implored them just before our passage, verse 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He's saying, listen, this is going to be hard for you to see, but I am going to die for you. Not by your effort, not by your strength, but by my blood will you be restored to God eternally. The eternal word by which we will be judged is our faith in the sacrifice of the slain Lamb of God. From beginning to end, it is Jesus that this all hinges on. Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf that it hinges on. He is the word from the beginning. And the only thing he came to communicate to us in his ministry was this. I am the word and I am going to die for you. Believe in me. And you too will become sons of light. So we go with these two things. First, rejoice when the Lord gives signs of his strength. It's not that we shouldn't be happy or rejoice in the fact that God does demonstrate his power in mighty ways. I guarantee you, uh, when they were walking through the Red Sea and seeing the water parted on both sides, like that is something to rejoice in. The, the power of God is that strong. So rejoice in those great workings that God is doing in and among you. But do not trust in the signs alone for they will end. Trust rather in the power of God's eternal word. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to follow Jesus. Not to follow his signs, not to seek out his signs, but to follow him. He's the Lion of Judah who decidedly came as a slain Lamb of God. He had all the power and authority to come as a lion. But when he is worshipped in heaven, we're worshipping him as the slain Lamb of God. Trust in the power of his eternal word and allow the eternal word to shape every aspect of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ministry that we've gotten to see in uh, this first half of John and how caring you are with every person that you interact with and 
how plain you are about who you are. Lord, our prayer this morning is that we would not trust in positive circumstance. We would not hope in positive, even amazing signs. We would not hope in them. But rather that our full trust, our full allegiance would be to a God who came as a man and gave his life for us that we might for eternity be reunited with our Creator. We are not worthy of it in and of ourselves. But by the blood of Jesus, you have made us worthy. And for that, we are eternally grateful. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.